Good morning, Saville Church. <laughs> Welcome from Winterset, uh, Iowa, Redeemer Church in Winterset. If you're not familiar, I should have said, Howdy, y'all. Because I know you guys think we're all a bunch of, you know, country bumpkins down there, but we're not. We're just normal people. I want to give a real quick update on what's happening in Winterset. Uh, first of all, I'd say, like you, Corona and the COVID 19 pandemic has taken, you know, it's been rough. We have, I, I describe us like the Israelites wandering through the wilderness. We've been in three buildings in the last three months. So we got kicked out of the high school because they shut down. We were in a, a building that's really a nice building. It was on the fairgrounds. And in, in Madison County, the fair, the county fair is a big deal. So we got kicked out two weeks for there. So we had to go to the middle school. That's where we're at this morning, actually. So you can pray for us as we wander around through the wilderness as the Israelites did. But there are some awesome things happening in Winterset. I, we were kind of taking uh, an inventory. We have about seven or eight, maybe more people ready to be baptized once we kind of start gathering all together over these last few months. So that's awesome. We're getting ready to, to kind of finalize our, uh, our land purchase. We, we got five acres uh, on the edge of town. Really great opportunity. And there's been some really cool discussions. Our heart uh, is that the last thing Winterset needs is another church building that sits there empty. So we're in discussions with uh, community leaders, the sheriff, the scoop, superintendent of the schools, the, the mayor, uh, other leaders of nonprofit organizations to say, really what we're saying is this is a community center. How can we uh, use this and have people walking in and out of that building all day long, and, and especially as it relates to helping those in need in our community. So super excited about some of the things that are happening there. Finally, I would mention the refuge. Uh, if you're not familiar with um, what is going on down in Winterset in the refuge ministry, Ben Funkhauser and C.J. Murray are just doing an awesome job leading the way. The refuge is a, is a ministry, addiction ministry. Uh, it, it, peripherally, it, it does things like the GCR, Gospel Center Recovery. That was something that was started at Redeemer, and now we're trying to export that to other churches, of which you've been a part of. Uh, we also do a lot of counseling and, and provide resources to people. So if you know somebody that's struggling in addiction, please reach out to us. Let me know. I'll connect you with Ben and CJ. But the primary thing that we're doing, about five miles north of town, we have a house. and We have like six guys right now living in the house. They live there for eight months to maybe a year. And uh, it's kind of a long-term residential addiction ministry and it is awesome and there are super cool things to happen in there if you get down to winterset you need to check it out it's right on 169 just outside of town it's unbelievable so let's dig in as we continue on in your series regarding in, in the ten commandments this morning we're going to be talking about the fourth command the command to remember the sabbath and to keep it holy now if you're new to christianity or unfamiliar altogether with christianity just let me keep it real simple. The concept of the Sabbath is the, the, the re reality that we need to set aside a time for rest, a day to rest. If you've been around the church for a while, uh, and if you're like me growing up, uh, you know, I, I became, a, a, I was a latecomer to Christ in my late teens or, or late 20s, uh, became a Christian. There's just a lot of confusion uh, as to what place and purpose the Sabbath, this day of rest, plays in, the, in the, our lives as Christians. But this idea of rest, it's a big deal. The buzzwords, peace and tranquility, these are highly sought out attributes in our culture. People are paying big money to, to obtain these things. 
And as a pastor, we do a lot of counseling. We, it, is probably one, it is probably our main ministry in, in Winterset is counseling. And the overwhelmingly vast majority of the people come in and they describe themselves in a few ways. Overwhelmed, way too busy, anxious with life, way down, lacking energy, lacking motivation. People are tired physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And as I was in line uh, at, at the convenience store, I see this 20-year-old young man with like three monster drinks checking out, right? I mean, good night, this guy. He doesn't need that stuff. He's 20 years old. But, but think about it. I mean, th- this, this energy drink thing, I mean, people are just, this is a huge industry now. And a lot of times as Christians, I think we're confused many times uh, when I... The difference between, is my two or three cups of coffee, is that the Holy Spirit, or is that just caffeine working in my life, right? That's the truth. But one of the things I wrote down, um, being a a big pothead myself for many, many years, uh, I I was up late the other night, and I was was watching the TV, and my first infomercial for cannabis came on. What's this all about? Essentially, the infomercial, as cheesy as they always are, was, you know, a little CBD oil and... Oh, do I feel relaxed? Do I feel good? Friends, this this reality uh, 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 is is a big deal in our culture. Over-the-counter and prescription drug medications for rest and relaxation are at an all-time high percentage-wise in our our culture. This is a relevant issue. And it strikes to the heart of a very deep spiritual issue that we all have are taken on and battling in. So let's read our text. Exodus 20, 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the earth, heaven and earth, and the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's pray. Father, we must acknowledge God now our our need. Whatever we walk through those doors with. We live in this world, this culture, that is constantly bombarding us with ideas and pursuits, pleasures, vices, paths, telling us that that these are the, the important things. This is where the gold is found. Father, the truth is, is that as a culture, we are full of anxiety, percentage wise, high some of the highest percentages of, of, of all time in history of worry, fear, anxiety. God, and we live in this culture, and so in this room, this is relevant. I pray that you would speak to us, that you would let us, let us put aside the weights and hindrances that are weighing us down this morning, and let us come and put ourselves under your word, Holy Spirit, that you might speak to us in the deep recesses of our heart. Speak truth, convict us, turn away from our, these empty paths and pursue your love and your firm foundation, as the song said. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, as we dive into this commandment uh, of, of remembering the Sabbath, uh, as I said, there's a great deal of confusion uh, in this. And, and I promised Pat, I called him up ahead of time about a week ago, and I said, hey, I just don't worry about it. I'm not going to get lost. There's a lot of ways this morning that we could get lost in the theological weeds and getting off into bunny trails about which day it should be honored and all those things. We're not going to do that. I have two goals this morning. The first goal is that we would seek and that we would clearly understand what is this, the heart of this Sabbath command. Because as I said, there's a lot of confusion about what, what this is all about. What is this place? Why does God command this? And what does it mean? Very clear, I hope, that you'll hear a clear issue of what the heart of the Sabbath is. And secondly, my hope in all this confusion that I think pervades, especially the Christian culture, that we would get some very practical, very convicting, I hope, life-changing applications to how this can look in our lives. To meet you where you're at, right? But I want to be very pastoral and push in a little bit this morning but let's start with a simple question. What is your understanding of the Sabbath command? I'm not asking, what, do you, what does it mean to you? Because honestly, I really could care less. I, I care about what God says about this command. But what I'm asking is, how does the Sabbath command play out in your spiritual life? If, if you're like me, what does that look like? I mean, what, how does this look like practically? If you're like me, I grew up in a largely non-Christian environment. My understanding of the Sabbath, I don't even know if I knew what that word meant. I went to church on Christmas and Easter. But largely, this idea of the Sunday rest was a lot of stores were closed. You couldn't really buy beer on Sunday from what I gathered. Uh, still can't in some places, I guess, before noon. But honestly, the highlight of my day was the Big Peach. How many of you remember the big peach? There's a lot of young people here. Oh, like two people. Three, maybe. All right. Well, the big peach was the sports section of the Des Moines Register. And it was a little different color. And, and, you know, that was the highlight. I spent hours. I was a numbers guy. I look at the batting averages and memorized who's who and all the box scores. So that was the highlight of my day. Later, uh, I became a Christian later in my 20s, as I said, and and, I, and the truth is, is I found very little instruction. Now, maybe it was I wasn't listening in church or listening to the pastors, but I found very little uh, to vague and, and really lacking conviction regarding the command or what the Sabbath meant for us as Christians and how it played out in our lives. And the truth be told that I learned most of my theological ideas, uh, doctrine about the Sabbath from reading Little House in the Prairie Books with my daughters, right? And maybe you read them. Uh, they were mandatory reading for us, and so we would read them. But, but what I gathered from reading Little House in the Prairie books, uh, which is said in like the 1800s, was that the, the Sabbath day was a very boring day where people ate cold food, and they didn't laugh or smile or have fun, and they, they ate, um, they, they sewed, sewed little dolls or you know they sewed things and then the men would whittle wood or something it was not fun all right and the truth is is that if I could summarize 
uh, I think the main idea that Christians have, at least that I come into contact with in my Christian experience, is that the Sabbath is just a day, a day off work. It has very little spiritual meaning to us. As I got older, something started to happen, though. And the purpose of Sundays began, and the purpose of a Sabbath and a Sabbath day became more, con- there was more conviction. See, I have four very athletic children, and myself being an athlete and very competitive, and convinced that my daughter was going to be the next Mary Lou Retton. And, and again, probably most of you don't know who Mary Lou Retton is, but she was like a the gold medal gymnast. Uh, Shauna, who is it? Shauna Johnson, right? Who is it? Sean Johnson, right? Okay, she was the next Sean Johnson, and uh, my sons were going to be the next Dan Gables. And that I needed to ensure the, the reality, this is the reality of, this is where you're at. If you're a young person, uh, in my book, in my, if my kids are going to get a Division I scholarship, we need to start at the age of five or six, traveling the, the, the state and in the country in order that we can get that Division I scholarship in order to achieve these goals. And by the way, most of those things, in fact, all the good wrestling tournaments, or on Sunday. <laughs> so what am I going to do as a Christian? This is the theological conviction that suddenly was thrown on my plate. How important was Jesus? How important is Sunday? How important is a day set aside for the Lord compared to my aspirations for my kids? And the church, once again, honestly, was largely silent in any kind of conviction about this. In fact, the conviction that I did get came from a movie. Chariots of Fire, and you've seen the movie and, and reading the biography of Eric Little. And if you're not familiar with the story, I want to highly encourage the reading of his biography and the watching of the movie. But essentially, to make a long story short, Eric Little was the shoe-in to win the 100-meter dash at the 1924 Paris Olympics. He's the fastest man in the world at the 100, in the 100 meters. The preliminary race was on a Sunday. Eric Little was a Christian. And he said, I'm not running on the Sunday. And he gave up the opportunity to win the 100-meter dash to keep the Sabbath. And that stirred with me. But honestly, so I hope that we can clear up some of the confusion. But theologically, and understand the heart of the Sabbath. But it's in the second reality of conviction that I'm just talking about that I want to be very clear. You see, here's the thing. When Pat called me and told me, yeah, you're preaching on the Sabbath, my heart kind of sank. Because the truth is, is that this keeping of the Sabbath has been personally a real struggle. And I'm not saying that lightly. I'm not just saying that to say that. I think we all struggle. But as I told um, uh, John Nemers in between services, I don't think you understand how big of a struggle this is for me. I cannot it's very, very difficult for me as a pastor to take time off because I can list you 50 people that I need to call, follow up with, pray for, talk to. So how can I sit here and rest when there's all this work to do? Now, But the truth is, I hope to come with a spiritual two-by-four for your head this morning, but that's not it because that, that would be, as the old saying goes, like calling the, the kettle black. Or 
as a, another way of putting it, it'd be like me telling my kids not to chew tobacco while I'm smoking a cigarette. I got no leg to stand on here. But I do will say this with a clear conscience. I'm in the fight for this. And I pray that you'll join me. I am fighting every week to make this day set aside, to make it holy, to fight for Sabbath rest in my life because I need it. I will fail. And so will you, friends. If we don't figure this out, we cannot go on uh, as we are and, and, and as we are in this life without setting aside time to rest. So I pray that you'll join me in fighting for repentance and conviction in your own life this morning and that you'll let God speak to you. So let's, let's dig in. Verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now the word here uh, for Sabbath is, um, is, is uh, or for, for to, to rest or to remember, I'm sorry, is to recount. And it's not just for educational purposes, like we're regurging an answer on a test. The, the, the purpose of this word, the, the meaning of this word is so that I might obtain it for myself to understand its principles and the heart such that I might live it out for myself, that I might understand the heart and live out that heart for this commandment for ourselves. So why? Why God? Why did God create this Sabbath day of Sabbath rest? Well, as the text takes us today, it takes us back to creation, to the beginning. If we're going to understand the heartbeat of the Sabbath, we, we return to the Genesis account, to the beginning, to chapter 1, where we see that God worked hard for six days, creating the universe, 100 billion galaxies. Think about that. 100 billion galaxies known to man. 100 billion zillion stars in the known universe. Unbelievable. So he creates the universe. He creates the earth and the animals and the capstone of his creation was, was mankind, man and woman made in the image and likeness of God. And he steps back on the seventh day and he just rests. He just enjoys it. He breaks did God need to rest? Was God tired? No. God, to, to create 100 billion zillion stars is like twisting a little cap off of a, of a water bottle for God. God does not slumber or sleep. God is omnipotent. That is a $10 word that says he has unlimited power. So God doesn't need to rest. So why would God make this Sabbath day? Why would he rest? Well, we turn to the New Testament, to Jesus' words, to Mark 2, 27, 28, where we begin to really zone and dial into the heart of this command that we can understand. He says this. These are Jesus' words. The Sabbath was, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, that's Jesus, is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, these are two huge concepts that we have to pick up on if we're going to understand the Sabbath, the heart of the Sabbath. The first reality that we must understand is that God didn't make the Sabbath for his own rest. God doesn't need to rest. We do. We need to rest. 
And so we need to see the grace and love and mercy and kindness of God in this command in knowing that we as human beings are sinful, knowing that we as human beings are so limited, we are so frail, we are so dependent. And in God's love, he designed a day for us to restore this, to catch up. And so, friends, if we're going to understand the the heartbeat of the Sabbath, we must acknowledge our dependence upon God, our need, our helpless estate. In a world that says, you go, girl. Right? A world that says, you can do it. You got this. This world that we live in is what we call a secular humanist world that basically says it takes atheism, the idea that we're just, this is it, this is all, you're just materials going around one time, you got one shot at this, and then adds a little divine spark that says, not, you know, not only you're just material, but you're the God, and so you have unlimited power, you're unstoppable, you're awesome, you can do it, you have huge potential, no one can stop you. Well, look around, friends. Let me just be really, really blatantly honest with you. If you go a few hours without water, you're going to be falling down like a little wimp, okay? A few hours without drink, and you get majorly discomforted. You spend a third of your life asleep, 230,000 hours on average, sleeping, why? Because you have to have it or else you'll, be a, you'll know how edgy and agitated and how crazy you get if you don't sleep. Food, same thing. You don't have food for a day or two? You get weird. Right? Emotionally? Right? I, I, I just read a study, uh, the study that says, you know, that first, first few days even of an infant's life, if they're not nurtured and cuddled, The scars are just huge. How dependent we are emotionally. 98%, in this study, it says 98% of felons come from broken or fatherless homes. Friends, we are dependent upon others, upon outside resources. But friends, there's a deeper issue even beyond the physical and the emotional that Jesus is nailing into here. And that is our spiritual dependence. More than physical and more than emotional, we are spiritual creatures. This body goes away and we are, our souls dwell on forever, the Bible says. And it's at this point that, friends, we hit the heart of the matter, of the issue of the Sabbath. Because uh, this command exposes uh, something very deep and rooted in the core of our spiritual being. And that is, we are rebels at heart. We are rebels. We are autonomous. Look in the garden. I know better than God. God is robbing me, so I'm going to do what I want to do. Right? That's autonomy. That's at the very core of our issue, our stubbornness, our pride, our reality that we will live our life our way on our terms. And I'm not going to let anybody tell me what to do. I am God and there is no other. Friends, that, that is you, that is me. And our flesh, even as a Christian, it, it defaults there very, very easily. 
And it's in this rebellion that we plunge headlong into pursuits that bring us down in the dirt, that cause us to have, feel overwhelmed, restless, full of anxiety as we pursue the careers at any cost, the titles, working so hard to be made much of so that we might have a bunch of toys. Do you realize how much energy it takes to maintain your toys and your stuff? It is wearisome. I wrote down, I was going to mention later, I have six cars right now, right? I got five people driving in my, I own six cars. You know how much time I speak? And they're junky cars, except for one, my wife's. We are running ourselves into the ground, chasing around sporting events in the hopes of what? That my kids are Division I scholars. I've been around the greatest athletes in the world. It's an empty pursuit. I was a national champion in boxing, and it was the emptiest day of my life. Seeking to be made much of, finding, tolling, we're going to find meaning and purpose in life, and retiring at the age of 50, and retiring, as John Piper says, collecting seashells in Florida. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a secular humanist idea of, uh, that we've bought into of uh, get all we can, can all we get, and sit on the can. All right? And I'm not so smart to make that up, but I thought it was really funny. But not only in our pursuits of power and prominence and position that wears us down, but are in our pursuit to please others, to look good to other people. How many men I know still trying to get the approval of their dads? Women struggling with image issues? Fighting the weight and the way they look, finding their value in that? All of us finding uh, our pleasure in how many likes we get. I mean, I'm only on Facebook. I don't do the other stuff, so I don't even know what you do there. Hearts or something. I see my kids, you know, doing that. But marriages constantly disappointing us, right? The other spouse not living up to my expectations. Kids that go south and I'm angry and frustrated and wore out trying to create this nice little white picket fence, suburban America look. It's all keeping all the balls juggling. It's all hot air. It's all veneer. And I think about this, even what's happened with COVID. People's, I mean, our counseling load is doubled. People, businesses being totally just destroyed overnight. Didn't see that one coming. Friends, we are not in control. And some of us turn to religion, hoping that, you know, I can do good stuff and then God will be pleased with me. You know, I can be in the club. You know, I learn the Christian lingo. I wear the bumper stickers and the T-shirts and checking all the boxes and I feel good. I'm in the club, the, the God club, the Jesus club. I even wrote down lazy people. I mean, in counseling, um, just to be completely honest, a lot of times it's the men, but they're just not willing to work hard, not just at work, but also at home and doing the things that they're commanded to do as men. 
But they spend enormous, vast amounts of creativity and energy into getting around those things. It's amazing to me. It's like if you would just spend as much time as you're trying to get around these things as you would actually doing them, you would be the world's greatest dad in the world. Friends, we are wore out. Are you tired? Well, God has something to say about this lie that we've bought into from our world, and that that is that we are in bondage. And the bondage is is beyond just you. You are your own worst enemy. You are actually in bondage to Satan. That's what it says. All these worldly pursuits. There are two, two, there's a king of this world, and there's a king over all things. And the king of this world is Satan, and he has taken people in bondage, and he is running them into the ground. This is what Ephesians has to say. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, the, the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, by the way, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, that's your worldly pursuits carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. That's me doing what I want to do. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's the default position, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. All these pursuits end up in a dead end. And Jesus comes along and he offers, listen to these words, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, the Sabbath rest. The real Sabbath rest. Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For many of you this morning, wore down with worldly pursuits, you need to repent and for the first time turn your life to Jesus. He is offering real spiritual rest that your soul, whether you know it or not, needs it. And by faith, you need to trust Jesus Christ this morning. Christ is the one who did the work that you could not do. And that is, you cannot make yourself right with God. All your spiritual pursuits will not win you back into finding this place of of rest that you're desiring that's so elusive and that can't be found in this world. But it is found by faith in the person of Jesus Christ who did the work. You are saved by works. You are saved by Christ's works and not your own. And in his works, we find rest, friends. This is real. This isn't a fairy tale. Jesus uh, was a real man who died on a real cross on a real Friday afternoon with real blood and real wood. This isn't some spiritual fairy tale. He appeared to 500 people. He rose again on the third day. He appeared to 500 people. And he, the Son of God, is offering you a rest for your soul. What's your answer? And friends, the good news, here's the good news. Here's what Jesus says in John 15, 5. Here's why this is so vital and so important that we have to grasp. Jesus says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. These are Christians. Whoever abides in me and I am him, to abide is to obey. He, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Here's the good news. As a Christian, 
I have one master. One, an audience of one. I will never fully live up to the standards that my wife sets for me. Now, I want to please her, but here's the deal. At the end of the day, I put my head on the pillow at night. I am commanded by Jesus, my king, to love my wife. Have I done that, Jesus? I can't live up to all those litmus tests. When, my, uh, when all these toys and all this stuff ends up being worthless and breaks down and doesn't provide me for the happiness that I thought it was going to provide, there's nothing wrong with stuff. It's just when stuff has you. That's the problem. But having the contentment of Jesus, whether I have a little bit or a lot, I have Jesus Christ. It's okay. What, I got another 30, 40 years here. I don't care if I don't have a lot, lots of stuff. Who cares? When my kids make a mess of things, I, I might not have the bumper sticker that says, my kid's an honor student, all right? But here's what. I have Jesus in my life telling me that I should train up and train and nurture and, 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 and I'm trying to be a, a, a represent Jesus Christ in their lives. And whatever happens, I have a peace that I am trying to live out my faith with a clear conscience before my children. That's worth gold, friends. And even when this life ends, all the pressures of this world that you battle against, I get to be with Jesus Christ forever. Forever. My eternal rest. Do you know this kind of rest? Jesus warned, whoever will save his life will lose it. Whoever who loses his life for my sake will find it. For whatever it profit a man uh, gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul. Or what shall a man gain in return for his soul? Friends, you need to know, repent of your self-sufficiency. Turn away from your autonomy and your pride towards God and come in dependence and say, God, this, this firm foundation that we talk about, you know, show me. I have an audience of one. Whatever it is that's going on. Think about corona, all right? All right? I can't control it all. What are you calling me to do in the midst of it? Love my neighbor, love my enemies, represent you. That I can do. I can't control all this other stuff. What peace that brings. I am so excited about being a Christian right now. So many opportunities. But it's now that we understand we can turn to the commandment for practical application, friends. The, low, the Sabbath day rest is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. That we have an audience of one, one king to please. And in him we find rest. We find answers from all the problems and the pursuits of this world. We find rest in him. Now we can turn. And the command is, along with the command to rest, there's a command to work here. To work hard for six days. Christians ought to be the most hardworking, diligent people in all the culture. All right, not just worldly work, vocationally, but even at home. Like I mentioned, I got six cars. When I'm done at work, I got to come home and I got to do insurance and fix cars and whatever else. I mean, I'm going. Trying to go. Now, I'm lazy too. Don't, don't think I'm not. It's, it's amazing to me that every culture... Every culture in every place in history, guess what? They have a seven-day calendar with one day of rest. Even, non, even outside of the Jews. Isn't that interesting? Because the law of man is written 
The law of God is written on every human heart. But here's what I want to gather as we close. Three things taken from verse 11 in a very practical, personal, pastoral way to you. First word, rest. Rest. Friends, the other day, I just sat outside and I stared at the leaves as the rain was dropping and just watched the beauty of rain dropping on some leaves. And then I watched these birds fighting and, hum- and these hummingbirds coming in and getting um, stuff in the flowers. I mean, I just zoned out in God's creation. I, I just need to rest, friends. Some of you are so wore out. And, and the, one of the first things I ask in counseling, we do a lot of counseling, as I said, are you getting enough sleep? Are you exercising? And for some of you moms or dads, it's like, hey, come to the 11 o'clock service. Sleep in. You know you feel good? When, you, when I go hard and hard and I just have that day, I, I sleep in. I feel rejuvenated. I feel energized. Maybe it's not sleeping in because you got to come at 8 o'clock, but maybe it's, or 9.30, that's pretty early too. Maybe it's, I just need a rest. And so we're going to communicate, hey, maybe you need to take a nap this afternoon. Let's, let's rejuvenate on Sunday. Or if you've been sitting around the office, like for me, I can, I, I, I don't, sometimes I like to exercise. I don't get the exercise I need. And I start to feel sludgy. You need to move. And so for Sunday, I might just say, hey, I'm going to take a long run or a long bike ride with my family or a long, hard, vigorous hike. Right? It feels good. Take inventory of the physical needs and let this day fill those. Not in a burdensome way. This is rejuvenation. Spiritually, too, how many times when, in counseling when people are struggling, I'll ask, where are you at spiritually? Are you reading your Bible? No. Are you praying? No. The, the, the Sabbath day is a great day for you to sit down and say, you know what, I'm just going to sit for two hours and read my Bible and pray and journal. What an awesome day. Catch up. I didn't get it done during the week. There are days where I just don't, I just, I don't get it. Sunday is a great day. Marriages. So many times in marriage counseling, you know, what causes affairs? We're not talking. We're not listening to each other. I'm not talking about where do we got to go? Who's going to drop this person off at this week and this? I'm talking about what is going on in your, in your heart? What are your, how can I encourage you? How are you doing spiritually? What are, your, what are the good things that happen? I want to know. I care. Use the Sabbath day. And, and, and the next word is Blessed. As we're, we're, we're getting down here to the end. Blessed. The word there is a joyous word. It's a happy word. This is not a bummer. In other words, I recommend turning off CNN or Fox or whatever you're listening to. Because when I watch that stuff, I get mad. This is not blessing. This isn't zoning out in front of the TV. Watching 12 hours of Tiger King or whatever, that's not going to do it. All right? Or Facebook or whatever. I get mad when I watch Facebook. That is not it. Blessing. Jesus did good works. He showed mercy. He did healings. And a lot of people didn't like it. So we're going to take our time. How many people are disconnected from their families? Go visit that grandma in the nursing home. Go visit your parents. Go make the phone call to the friend you haven't talked to that you know is struggling. Write that letter to somebody that you've sinned against. That's one of them on my list. I'm going to write a letter of asking for forgiveness to somebody. Put some cash in an envelope with your kids and go drop it on somebody's door that you know and then run, and run away and, and just bless people. 
Help a neighbor. This is a very busy day, full of blessing. Third is holy, as I wrap up. The word holy, that is set aside. That means it is God's word, God's day. I return to the story of Eric Little as I close up here. thing that you don't know about Eric is that not, he ran the 400 when he found out the 100 was on Sunday. He began training for the 400. And if you know anything about running, if you, just because you're a fast 100 runner, you're probably not going to do very well at the 400. Two di- completely different races. Eric Little, by the grace of God, won the 400-meter gold medal. Wasn't even planning on it. Started training at the last minute. And he broke the world's record. He testifies it was God's power that pushed him around that track. But somebody handed him a, a note just before that. It was, I think it was actually an American runner. And on that note, it says, those who honor me, I will honor. You see, this day is the Lord's day. And we need to start in obedience and repentance to say, God, this is your day. What do you want to do with it? It's your day. As I close to return, my family and I made a decision regarding the sporting thing. We weren't going to do, we weren't going to run across the, the state. Sorry. We played some sports. Usually after lunch, we would go. Made a lot of people mad. <laughs> we got those phone calls. There's only five kids on the court. We need your back. We'll get there as soon as we can. We weren't legalistic about it. We did some sports on Sundays. There's a couple wrestling tournaments that are on Sunday that I would occasionally, we would occasionally do. But here's my point. Years and years later, guess what? And we failed at this. I don't like to use myself as a positive example ever. We feel like you fail more than you succeed. But a lot of those families will reach out for help. Spiritually, divorce, problems in life. There's something there. This is a holy day set aside for God that we might enjoy the blessing of it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. We love you. Convict us. Meet us where we're at. Let us put some of these things into play in our lives that we might honor you in the Sabbath rest that you've given us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.